0: Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered,
1: for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host Alex Kessler here with my co-host Ben Bayman.
0: What's going on, everybody?
1: So th- today is our Christmas episode. This is the last episode we're going to do until the New Year and Christmases. So we want to wish you all you guys a merry, merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's,
0: and a happy New Year. I, yeah, I, oh, said that. I needed to add something, Alex.
1: Uh, no, I got all the holidays. <laughs> you can have Groundhog's Day when that happens. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's the next holiday. Oh, President's Day. There was all the presidents. Yeah. Yeah, they're important. and the, They, like, did stuff.
0: And the championship of my fantasy league.
1: Oh, right. Well, that's this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the one you knocked me out of. Um, beyond that, uh, well, I mean, 2014 was kind of a crazy year. Yeah. Some crazy stuff. Like, Wizards has basically flipped the entire game of Magic on its head by adding two blocks a year. PTQs are gone.
0: It's a lot of stuff, yeah.
1: Modern Masters Two is coming out next year. I guess it's the next year thing.
0: We're sort of in the in the middle of like a golden age of this oh, yeah. game right now, which is really pretty exciting. I, I mean, we're a podcast; we get to do a Magic the Gathering podcast. Right? <laughs> that's pretty exciting. Uh, there's just there seems to be constantly new content. There's they're continuing to pump more and more money into the game, so you can continue to try to win more. There's more players. The game design is better and better.
1: It, basically, every false set has broken records consistently since the beginning of. And
0: 10. Yeah, it's been it's just been a great 5 years um, without a doubt and we're hoping that uh, we're hoping the next 5 years are even more awesome and, yeah. and huge and exciting and I, I think we talked about this recently on an episode where Josh Lee Kwai was in the episode but just the concept of a professional magic player and and what that is and getting there. And how there is actually probably going to be a time in the next five years where there's you can make a, a very sizable living as a right. magic player. Right, right. Just like any game where sort of the the front end of this idea of professional gamers.
1: The moment one of these guys realizes, Oh, I, I have enough people following me that I can get a legitimate sponsor just to like strap logos on my t shirt, not like a card store, but like Coke. Is the moment, or Mountain Dew probably first, or Red Bull, <laughs> but yeah. like, is the moment that people will start making real money being a Magic professional player.
0: I don't think we're very far from it. I don't think, so. I, I, don't, I agree. Um, so,
1: today, we're gonna be talking about 8th and 9th edition. This is actually the first of a series we're going to do about eventually going through each of the sets in modern, the modern format, and breaking down like key cards and what they've added to the format. So, for like, newer players, they can kind of be like, oh, 8th and 9th edition. Like, I know for me, when I first started playing modern, I, like, didn't know any cards that were... Any- like, uh, people would play someone like Boil or Choke against me. Be like, that card is legal in this format? And they'd be like, yeah, it's an 8th edition. You'd be like, oh. Yeah, I definitely. I thought that existed. <laughs> it, it, this, so
0: this will be, like, a fun way. What we're going to do is, I think with the corsets we'll probably pair them in sets of twos. So in this sense, we'll do 8th and 9th edition, uh, then, you know, 10th edition, and I guess M10 would be the next two core sets. Yeah, But uh the 10s. Yeah, and then, and then as far as when we do expansion sets and large sets, we'll do probably blocks, so sets of yeah. three. Um, but this will also be kind of a fun history lesson, because th- this will be done chronologically. So this dates back to, I think, 8th and 9th edition, or probably like 2003. three. Oh three. 3.
1: So the cool thing about 8th edition is it's actually the 10th anniversary of Magic. So like the modern format cuts, they literally just sliced off the first 10 years and started from that point on. So it's like the end of the not-modern era, but the past era.
0: The... And and since Modern has been created, we've now gone from uh, Modern including you know eight years of Magic to now more than half. Yeah, and there's, 12, yeah, yeah. And there's been a theory for a long time that people have had that essentially, when the complaints between Legacy and Modern were running rampant as Modern was being announced and promoted, that in you know four or five six years, Modern would basically include such a such a larger uh, statistical margin of the cards that have ever been printed and reprinted at that point that Legacy would be. Become essentially irrelevant. Right. Because modern will just become legacy minus the most broken cards, which I think is what they had in mind the whole time. And it yeah, seems it's, it's to like, be.
1: It's a, it's a. I understand why they picked that moment. It's epic for Magic. They changed the card border. It's the 10th anniversary. You know, Mirrodin was the, the first block out of that gates, which is like a famous, you know, record breaking, like the first set to break records and then lose a bunch of players. Um, <laughs> And, like, that's kind of the area they picked. So, like, let's kind of get into some of the key cards from 8th edition. So,
0: yeah, we can we can definitely, first of all, just pinpoint the fact that as, as evolved as it seemed like they thought they were in 2003 with card design and set design, it's night and day. Cause well, yeah. I mean,
1: it, and 8th edition is also, like classically considered underpowered versus other sets that have ever come out.
0: Well, it's a ridiculous set for the most part. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of cards in 8th edition that are just like, why would you decide to reprint that? Well, but... there, are,
1: there are three cycles of, like, color hosers. It has, like, all of the circle of protections, and it has the, like, when something of that spell is played, you can pay one to gain a life. It has, like, multiple reasons that just hate on colors. It has choke and yeah. boil and, like... Yep,
0: yeah. It has, yeah, it has a lot of things that play on color... Get reprints, uh, it reprints. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it, but it's definitely a very strange set. The, the card design and the card choices in the set are, are very weird, right? Uh, and it's not as good as ninth edition, so it'll be probably a little short for us,
1: right? So I think you know we kind of we're going to go alphabetically by mana class, So let's start with the lands, and that's City of Brass. It's the main card that kind of is added to the format. Um, it's been kind of outclassed recently, so Mana Confluence came out and made is just a better version of it, purely off the fact that it can't be used against you by an opponent to kill you.
0: Right, yeah, it's. I mean, it's, the, but it's functionally the same card. Yeah, it's functionally the same card. Uh, and so it's. It, it is nice that there's redundancy now with mana confluence. If you're trying to make a deck that's just super, super gradient, right. I think care there are now
1: twenty cards in modern that all tap for any color. So you can literally just have a mana base starting out. It's painful, but that taps for what? Uh, mana, uh, mana confluence, city of brass, forbidden uh, Orch. Gem- forbidden orchard, gemstone, cavern,
0: gemstone mine,
1: mine, and. That's four, so that's 16. Reflecting oh, Pool? Yeah, I guess Reflecting Pool. Yeah, that would be a... that'd be my cheat my cheat way out of this. Exciting. So yeah, City, City of
0: Brass, good card. Uh, it's, it's super great for greedy brewers who want to use all the good cards. Um, the next card on this list is the best card in 8th edition. Yeah,
1: I think this is by far the best card in 8th edition. There's some cards that we're going to mention that are also coming up in later core sets, but Birds of Paradise.
0: Yeah, and Birds has been printed in like almost every core set ever. I yeah, think there's, it,
1: there's like three. Recently, there's been a few that hasn't been, but I think there's a total of like three that it's never been printed in.
0: I mean, it was also reprinted in Ravnica, the original Ravnica. Yep. Uh, I feel like maybe another expansion, but I mean, it's definitely one of those cards. It's nice to see cards like Birds of Paradise because in, in, in a point in the game where there's been so many reprints, functional reprints of cards with different names, and the redundancy on certain cards has just been done to death, mm-hmm. something like... Uh, a classic card like N.R. Elf, which was in every single set, right. becomes Elvish Mystic. And the sort of the, the, the you classic... You know why
1: they did that, you know, right?
0: So it would fit the... No,
1: because it's plural. Oh. It, they, it was purely the fact that they're starting to, like, move away from plural creatures. Okay. And so, like, Llanar Elves... And it's just, like, one dude on the card. Right. Does it make sense?
0: No, it makes sense, but I just mean, in, in the sense that the historian, the classic oh, yeah, yeah, magic yeah. fan, you're like, why do I not just get my, like, on our elves? It's nice to see that Birds of Paradise is still the only Birds of Paradise. Oh, yeah. They've never yeah, made yeah, yeah, another yeah. card that's the same card. I would
1: not be surprised that in our future, like, a 1-1 that doesn't fly, for one, yeah. gets printed that has the same ability, and it'll just be worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean,
1: not purely worse, but, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, this card has allowed the modern, in many decks, just play better and they can exist like right. pod exists because there are cards like this in the format
0: and it's one of those classic things in deck design where you the concept of, of a one drop accelerant and a three drop on turn two uh it's is very strong yeah it always has been if you play, yeah. you play like like turn two Vendilion click and the fact that you can play any color so you start with green and by turn two you can like go like double blue with your card right it's definitely very strong that's i think birds will always have a special place in deck design for that reason
1: so, the next one on my list, I think this is now going in descending power level order. Uh, and this is seen, originally didn't see a lot of play in the format, probably because I think people forgot that 8th edition was a format and it existed yeah. in the format. Um, but people realized, oh, this is one of the best sideboard cards that you can play. Choke.
0: Yeah, Choke is uh, pretty backbreaking. It's actually a card that sees more legacy play. You see you see people bring this in on the sideboard in some decks. Maverick will play this card, um, but it's... Not a deck anymore, but... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but... Uh... It's definitely, it's definitely, it's, it's, it. I mean, in modern,
1: it's the card that you bring in against Delver. It like shuts their game plan down, or half their game plan down. It's very like in the format where almost all of the lands, someone's playing with either basic islands or double, you know, like island mountains. And yeah, it's very strong, and it gives a, a, like a green deck another level to kind of fight these blue decks. So choke is an enchantment that uh...
0: costs one green and two colorless. And it states, islands don't untap during their controller's untap step. So it affects both basic islands as well as dual lands that have island as a subtype.
1: Right. Take the blue players and all your blue shenanigans.
0: It's really good. It's definitely one of the cards, just like Blood Moon. It comes down against you. You're not prepared for it. And you just you just sink in your chair because you probably lost. Right. Uh, really, really frustrating. Uh, the next card on the list is another card I think that would be characterized as probably a sideboard card. But it's...
1: I think it's underplayed. I think it's scene play in Tesserator decks that yeah. are like, I want to play with artifacts and have some type of a toolbox situation, which Can we sounds just... like an Alex Kessler deck that hasn't ever
0: won anything. Two <laughs> things I'd like to do. Uh, I li- would I want a soundboard that has you saying the word toolbox. Okay. Because <laughs> anytime you ever say something that annoys me, I'm just going to hit the button. Toolbox. Toolbox. <laughs> toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the second thing I want to do is we talk about Tesserator decks so much on this cast, yet we've never teched one. So I think True. we need to brew yes. a Tesserator deck.
1: Do. Okay, that will be the next well, not the next brew. A, f- a future brew will be Tesserator. I mean,
0: I think our architect deck kind of almost was. It's
1: close. That's why I want to... Not next. That's why... I, let's let's wait a little bit for the another artifact brew house to come down the field. Sounds I don't good. I what... Uh, too many metaphors. All right, so Ensnaring Bridge is the card. Uh, it's a three-cost artifact, and creatures with power greater than the number of cards in your hand can't attack. This is a modern or a legacy staple. I yeah. mean, there are multiple decks that just play this card. I think one of the things that's hurting in a modern is a lack of a top effect so mm-hmm. and like or jace we're like these are things that let you have a hand without having a hand right and so you know there is no way really right now in modern to be able to mitigate the fact that you have to play control deck with no cards in hand which is just where you don't want to be in a control
0: deck what you see so in staring bridge is an artifact for three mana
1: i read it, I read it already
0: oh you did yeah gotcha Toolbox. Tool- <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, and Staring Bridge is is basically a card that classically, the, the most common use you would see for this is that when somebody shows, like, use show and tell and Emrakul comes in, your Staring Bridge comes in. Right. And now they can't attack you. And uh, it's, it's one of these cards that definitely does not see enough play. It's good against way more decks than you'd think. And it's super frustrating if it comes down because unless you have main deck artifact hate or a bounce spell, they're basically calling the shots from that right, point right, forward. Right. Uh, and it's colorless, so just like any one of these high-impact sideboard cards that's an artifact, it can be played in any deck, which makes it even more powerful and annoying. Right. Uh,
1: to be totally honest, I think it actually is probably a great card for Twin to start playing, now reading it, because you can mitigate the your size, your card size hand. You can yeah. make it so they can't attack you, and then you can combo off whenever you want.
0: And your highest power level in, on Twin two. Creatures, too. Yeah. So, yeah, your 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 like protection is you can have like one or two spells, and you're right. just fine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so then, so then, moving, moving on.
1: The only one I really have is Seismic Assault. I mean, like, the, the interesting thing is, like, I literally only have five cards from the set that yeah. I like, have seen play in some deck in Modern. Um, uh, there's a bunch of, like, semi-cuter cards that, like, maybe should see play, but Seismic Assault is a, a triple red enchantment that lets you discard a land to do two damage to target creature or player. It's the classic combo piece with Life from the Loam for, yeah. you know, aggro Loam decks, where it's just like... You're cycling Loam to like just continually do 6 damage every turn, and eventually you value them out.
0: In the early days of this format, when people were essentially taking old extended decks and legacy decks and trying to port them over to modern in an, in an attempt to just surprise people, right. uh, Bronson Magden won, I believe... Um, GP Lincoln was the first one. Okay. It was the first Modern Grand Prix, and he was playing a version of Agro Loam that essentially all it does is, like, it switches out, like, Mox Diamonds for something else because you can't play Mox Diamond. Right. And, uh, yeah, he won with this card, and it's it hasn't seen... I don't think it's won a GP since. It's I wouldn't be surprised if it's top-aided, one or two here and there. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a little clunky of a strategy for the it's format. It's like a
1: fringe Tier 3 deck. Yeah. Where, like, there are players that have it and are probably played a lot, but not. they're either not good enough to have made done well with it, or the deck isn't good enough to kind of do it.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's the the toughest thing about Sizing Assault, it's a very tempting card for any brewer because the idea of getting to discard extra land cards for an effect is great. It's triple red. It's just, right. that's that's the reason it's such a hard card to use, is if you're going to try to build around this, you have to be able to support triple red, and that's hard to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what I'd like to do really quickly is rattle off maybe uh, two, three cards each that are in 8th edition that don't see enough play, or not even necessarily that we think are are super good more just that are super interesting
1: um so mine has seen play marginally in formats in history's past it just is maybe a little too slow but as we saw with Glittering wish this speed of spell can eventually become stronger if the right card is printed and that is merchant scroll
0: yeah actually a very good card and a card that uh, i have found myself using in in many more casual formats right so merchant scroll what it lets
1: you do is search for target
0: just a blue instant it's one blue one colorless of sorcery originally printed in homelands actually
1: This card, you know, you can search for counter spells. That's kind of classically it's been used to like look for gifts and gifts deck is kind of where it kind of sees play. It's an interesting card and it'll probably see play at some point. It's one of the cards to keep your eye on because eventually there'll be a blue instant. That's good enough with it. Yeah. Well, a combo deck will be created. Like the two things are either a combo deck is created that lets that this finds it on turn two and then turn three, you're winning with it or like you're able to go with it. And that just doesn't exist right now.
0: Yeah. Might in the future. Um, Next one on my list, on this list, Intruder Alarm would probably be something that comes to mind for me. One blue, two colorless enchantment. Creatures don't untap during their controllers on tap steps.
1: So this this has seen some amount of play. Hang on, once, and yeah.
0: whenever a creature comes into play, untap all creatures. So it has this both sides right. of the effect uh, where if you have things that...
1: So this goes with Kiki. This is This is like the non-creature type of... For for a kiki combo win, like I've seen this in like in formats where like creature hate is so heavy, they play like a one of this because you can go infinite with any creature, right? Um, which kind of allows kiki to power it out. The issue it becomes it becomes a three piece combo instead of a two piece combo. Sure, um, though you know you gain some marginal value where this is just you can play this early, it just sits there, and it can also kind of lock them out because if they don't have a creature to play, they can't attack you,
0: etc. You know,
1: it's it definitely has combo potential. It, it it has a similar effect to what Just Guy Ascendancy has. If you really think about it, totally. Instead of you playing a it sorceries, it's creatures coming into play, so there is a difference. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Anyway, let's move on to Ninth Edition. Yeah, Ninth Edition. So Ninth Edition is a Way much better, better set. Like we're going
1: to start reading cards, and all of these are format staples to some extent versus the one, where it's like all loose cards other than Birds of Paradise. First on my list, let's start with the lands: Uh A Darker Wastes. Sorry. Let's
0: just be clear really quickly. Alex is talking about the pain lands that are yeah. actually in standard again now.
1: Uh, well, the enemy ones are. So there are the, al- the, the allies and enemies are both in Ninth edition. So these are the lands that you can tap for colorless, or you can tap for one of two colors, and they do one damage to you. And for those of, of
0: you that whatever. don't know, the, the pain lands are actually one of the earliest incarnations of wizards trying to fix the original dual lands and make them less yeah, powerful. They've been around forever. These yeah. are
1: like been staples of kind of like what standard was with the new check lands. The... Yeah. When it comes into play it comes into play untapped if you have a plans or an island. These were the plans. these were the These uh, are the first versions where they like we were gonna reprint these a thousand times, they're just in every corset.
0: The corset duels were reprinted I think for like a good like four or five years in corsets. They the original cycle was from Ice Age, actually, in like nineteen ninety six, and then they created the friend colored ones we're talking about here. And then the enemy color ones that are in standard now were introduced in Apocalypse, which should have been in like two thousand probably or like two right around there. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, that cycle of lands, they're not particularly good. They're fine. There's well, they're better like, lands the, out there. The
1: one that's seen the most play is the blue-red one. Yeah. Because it sees significant modern play. In
0: Storm. and in, Yeah, because
1: uh... the, the, where they are going to see the most play are the decks that are purely two-color.
0: And they just don't care about life loss. And they don't care about
1: life loss. So, like, yeah, exactly. Um, Storm, see, it sees play in Storm. Like, the blue-red kind of sees the most play because there's the most, like, blue-red decks that yeah. are, like, looking for this kind of effect. Um. Next on the lands list, Urza's Mine and the Urzatron. So
0: This is relevant. This
1: is very relevant. This is like the deck that... These are the lands that make the deck Tron possible. If they weren't in Ninth edition, they wouldn't be in the format.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think as a brewer, when you go through the entire card list in moderns, a whole history, and you look at every card that's ever been printed, there's some stuff where you look and you're like, oh, that's obvious, everybody remembers that, that's a recent set. And then there's a few cards that exist in weird sets that you're like, maybe they didn't realize when they made... And I think the Tron lands oh, it's like they only show up in this one set. It was a core set. It was a weird reprint. But they add a lot to the format.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so, you know, originally the format had one major ramp, tap, ramp deck and that was using the cloud posts. and the, Right. And, and when they banned that deck of the format, kind of Urza, the, the Urza replaced that as the effect. And they're very strong. I mean, these are the lands that let you get Karn turn three. Yeah. Which is like, there are a lot of decks that that is just their bad matchup.
0: These are also lands that allow you to get Memnark on turn three. Moving on.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, really, it's it's the fact that you get Pumped Out Giant Eldrazi really early. You get Karn, Wormpoil yeah. Engine. These are great cards.
0: Very strong. It's very
1: obvious why this is powerful. And the deck can do it up by turn three, which is what's really important. Yes. Uh For lands, it's kind of done, but the next is the only other zero cost permanent, and that's Ornithopter. Uh, favorite card of the podcast <laughs>
0: yet another intrinsically powerful card
1: <laughs> right well they don't know what you're talking about yet Ben. Um, a zero it is uh, zero mana for a zero two flyer it's a classic card been around forever
0: yep uh, it's one of these cards that when you're like a little kid you think is so awesome because it's like it's a zero casting hey, this cost card flying has won creature
1: many many a gp
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 good in one deck. Uh, I I used to love Ornithopter. I still have a set. That my older brother gave me a ton of his Magic cards when I was a little kid in 1995 when he taught me how to play. And he gave them to me in this like plastic grocery bag, and they were like pretty beat up. But I had three original antiquities Ornithopters, and I still have them. Okay, and they're all like they're all like battered, and beaten, Warp. and like kind of yeah, white. Yeah. On, but they're just awesome, and I just love them. Oh so. yeah.
1: This yeah. is like one of the first favorite cards that come out there. Uh, so now on to spells, um, I have two one drops. Do you have any? Uh,
0: yeah. What? What? I, uh, as far as actually good cards, I mean, I think. Sleight of Hand comes to mind for yeah. me. Yeah,
1: so Sleight of Hand is one blue. Uh, you can look at the top two cards of your library and put one of them in your hand and one on the bottom of the
0: library. It's a sorcery. This and, and Serum Visions replaced Ponder and Preordain when yeah. they were banned.
1: It's like, it wouldn't see play if one of the good versions of it were legal, but they're not, so this is probably the second best.
0: It's the to, f- what, like fourth best. Just... It's the fourth best of these effects that could be played, and then they banned the best two, so this right. is the second best now. And it's like
1: maybe the sixth best ever, because like <laughs> Brainstorm and other better ones in Legacy even exist. It, 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 it's... It does what it does. The deck, the format has, you know, needs and will always need kind of some type of cantrip card selection. And this is, like Serum Visions, this is not necessarily the hero we want, but it is the hero we deserve. Sure. It's ba- the Batmans of the modern world.
0: Uh, I think the other one drop...
1: Soul what? Warden is the other one I have. We oh, okay. talked about it last week. Uh, Soul Sisters, it's, you That's know... That's
0: interesting. I didn't include it in my list, but, I mean, I, I, it makes sense why you would.
1: Right, right. It, I mean, it. these are cards that see play modern. These are cards to be aware of that were introduced from these sets. It's a one-drop, one-one that gains your life when creatures come into play. It's just yeah. playing exactly one deck, but in that one deck that you know just hopped into GP and is around, it's something to be wary
0: of. If we're going to talk about one-drops from that deck specifically, I, would, I do want to mention Weather, Weathered Wayfair. Yes, that um, is also in the deck. And Weathered Wayfair is, I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but it's one of these cards that is, like, like land-type is such an interesting thing in Magic Design. They make so few cards that can actually search for any land as opposed to just basic lands. Right. So Weather Wayfair is a 1-1 one, one Humid Nomad Cleric for one white that has a one white and tap. Search your library for a land card. Reveal it and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Play this ability only if an opponent controls more lands than you. So it's one of these cards that sometimes you have to sandbag a land to be able to use the ability effectively, but if you're playing a great number of Ghost Quarter effects, Horizon Canopy, kind of spell lands to some degree... Right. It's very valuable.
1: Well, this is, I mean, Toolbox. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to this, is one of the cards that, like, I have played this more in casual formats than, than regular formats, but it, it is a staple of the soul, Warden deck. And theoretically, if a good enough land gets played, these are the cards to look out for because being able to 2-4 to any land is really important. At
0: instant speed as At well. At instant speed, right. Yeah. So it's, like, it's definitely really, really, really good.
1: It's kind of like Stoneforge Mystic. Um, birthing pod, basically what it comes down to is wizards has to be wary of printing powerful lands, partly because, or powerful cards of this type, partly because as soon as the right one is printed, these cards become too powerful. Like Stoneforge Mystic, Stoneforge Mystic was not a playable standard card for the entire time it was in standard until the black, green sword was printed when they were like, oh wait, this is yeah. amazing.
0: Some question for you guys as listeners, I want, I want a Twitter response on this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much better is Stoneforge Mystic than Weather Wayfair? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on.
1: All right. So next is probably, for me, the most powerful card coming out of 9th edition,
0: and Man- that's Manalik. Yeah, Manalik. So Manalik's the best two-mana counterspell, not actually counterspell or mana drain that's ever been printed.
1: I would argue that, you know, in Modern, Remand is just better. Strictly better. Uh,
0: debatable. I mean, and the inevitable...
1: overall time mana Leak is stronger, because in older formats or different formats, the Modern, the ability, like... getting past three mana is actually not going to happen very often but in modern the remand ability of you know drawing you another spell and just delaying is more important than like mana leak especially since blue is most often paired with white and the best removal spell for them like is actively bad with mana leak
0: interesting i i prefer um mana leak i though Romand is, like, a, in terms of favorites, I prefer Romand. Like, I like the card right. more. I would prefer to have Manalik in my hand and in, like, a deck that I felt like my turn one or my turn two was, like, a very strong definitive play.
1: Fair enough. I mean, the other side for me is it Manalik is worse with Snapcaster Mage. True. Because Snapcaster Mage is all about long game and later game gaining value, and Manalik gets worse every turn. So,
0: yeah, good. later on, Romand just is, is more interesting. Draws right. you a card. Um, yeah, I think that's totally fair, but as far as the cards that are in this set, yeah, Manalik is definitely the strongest one. Right. Um, next on my list would be Pyroclasm. Yep, yeah,
1: same. This is the premier two-drop board wipe. You know, it, we'll talk about it later when we talk about Tron.
0: One red, one colorless sorcery, Pyroclasm deals two damage to every creature.
1: Right. And this is seeing a lot of play now because of, um...
0: Delver decks. Delver
1: with... decks. It's like a great against Delver. It's great in Delver. It's kind of like the main board wipe now, of the format, now that... The format has sped up so much.
0: Yeah, it's a very strong card. The The nice thing about Pyroclasm is it's not color-restrictive. You can play it in, like, most decks. It only costs one red. It's cheap. It, uh, yeah, it's just very versatile.
1: Right. Um, so my next... The next card, to drop this is probably lower on the end of the power level, but it sees play in one specific de- deck, and that deck is... It powers that deck to a higher power level. Are you talking about extreme, Summer Bloom? Summer Bloom. Yeah. So Summer Bloom is a one green, one colorless. You can put up to three additional lands into play this turn. So in you know uh the deck that uh, in amulet vigor decks this card is extremely powerful because you play amulet vigor if you have multiples in play you can start playing the uh bounce lands and you just gain so much mana so quickly but with this card and those cards and those effects together
0: it's definitely one of those wonky fringe decks that came out of nowhere on magic online one time and everybody went f- crazy for it i but, don't
1: know it, it, it's breakout turn like it showed up on magic online and then it you Know got multiple um, on camera viewings during Pro Tour um, Born of the Gods
0: because, yeah, but it's it's one of these decks that the surprise factor is what makes it good. It's so explosive. Can it get a turn two Primeval Titan? Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I, yeah, for sure. it Can get a turn two. The biggest issue with the deck is it's actually probably the most difficult deck to play in modern. If we, yeah. we, we say that Birthing Pot is, and Birthing Pot is of the decks that are tier one. Of the tier, like all of the tier decks, like all of them, this is one of the most difficult decks. It's such a glass cannon to actually. This pull is off. tier
0: three, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it's it is a good card. It's it's super unique. Again, there is there's a parallel effect to this card that they printed, and it's interesting. We could talk about it in the honorable mentions, but uh, Gift of Estates is another card that is also in the set. One white, one colorless. If an opponent has more lands than you, search your library for up to three planes cards, reveal them and put them into your hand. Again, planes cards so you can get multicolored. It's well, like, like
1: the the slightly more expensive tithe, which is yeah. on the reserved list. One of my favorite cards from back in the day. Yeah. Um I one day maybe will tweet a picture of it. I have a custom art one that has like the two sons from yeah. Star Wars with Luke like on the, the Dune that's side. Awesome.
0: You're such a nerd. I'm a
1: giant nerd.
0: But yeah, give to, <laughs> anyway, obviously Summer Gloom is a much better card. But it's just interesting to see that the kind of parallel uh, printings. And then the Weather Wayfarer is one. It has the same kind of effect. They right, have more lands like a than
1: weird you. additional land yeah. deck they tried building in the ninth edition. So
0: the first three drop on the list is Blood Moon, yep, which, which is... Which is the
1: second best red card ever in the format.
0: Yeah, I mean, Blood Moon's so good. So good. Yeah, and again, the, them reprinting this in a core set. Is further proof that they had no idea what they were doing at the time they were printing these well, sets. early core
1: sets. I think. To, well, and this is true. The like not eighth and ninth and tenth and all those editions and all the editions before that were much less about draftability and much less about like they're much more about like okay, we know what this standard is going to be like. We want to include some of these cards in it that give access to them.
0: Yeah, Blood so, Moon. We've talked before. It's super not fun to play against. It, right. It's really really annoying if you don't see it coming. I have. Been on both sides of it where I still stand on my mountain and I will say, I think that printing cards like this is not good for magic. I think it makes the game not fun because if you build a deck and you're really excited about it and this card comes down, you often will have no way to play the game anymore. You're not right. supposed to be able to win magic games off of three mana enchantments with nothing else. Uh, and that I think is bad for the game. But if you play it and that happens and you're on the side that play the Blood Moon, you're a genius and you love it. Who doesn't like winning magic games? Right. <laughs>
1: Okay, so now this is... Um, do you have any more three drops?
0: Uh, nothing okay, else that's... So I have the
1: four drop, and then I'm done.
0: Uh, th- it should be noted, uh, this could be a, a, a honorable mention, but it's not weird enough. Phyrexian Arena is two black yeah. and one colorless yeah, 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 yeah. enchantment. At the beginning of your We're upkeep, about- you draw a card and lose one life. It's the slightly worse version of Dark Confidant.
1: Right, like Dark Confidant is a creature and attacks, which is really relevant. It is a two drop, which is more relevant, and you can kill it yourself if you need to. It gains you... Less it hurts you less by playing forixy arena, and I think that if there was a more controly deck that didn't want yeah. you know wanted to not play that many creatures that you know turning off opponents removal, forixy arena might be a better option for like an esper kind of control deck. It doesn't exist right now. Doesn't see a lot of play. Currently, Bob's not even very good in the format.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just one of these cards that if you look at it, you say, look, drawing an extra card per turn for one life at three mana is really good. Right. So, I, I'm maybe so not in modern now.
1: It's a, saw a ton of play in standard when it was in standard, saw, sees a ton of commander play, just not really a modern staple right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so, my only four drop, and then we can get into my honorable mentions, if you, unless you have other cards, uh, is the probably the important Wrath board wipe of the format, known as Wrath of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you really what it comes down to is you have two choices. You have Wrath you have three choices of wraths in the format, really. And it's Wrath of God, Damnation, or um, Supreme, Supreme Verdict. Verdict. Yeah. And it comes down to what decks are important to stop out. Right it, now, Did wrath you say of God. Damnation? I did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wrath of God is the white one, the mono white one. You know, there's technically Day of Judgment, and if you want more of the effect, then you can play Day of Judgment. But right. when it comes down to the ability that, you know, it says destroy all creatures for four mana and they can't be regenerated and they can't be regenerated is so important. And the reason you choose this over something like Supreme Verdict, because being able to kill stuff like Thrun is what's very, very, very relevant.
0: Yeah, Wrath of God's the original Wrath. I mean, that's why those effects are titled that. And uh, it's interesting, they they will reprint Wrath of God again someday when not being able to regenerate is important. Well,
1: so, so... Fun fact, they actually only recently have decided that Wrath of God could be reprinted. They stopped printing it for a while, and the reason Damnation came out is because they didn't like the connotation of God because gods weren't in magic. Uh-huh. But the reason it was printed just recently in, uh, from the Vault Annihilation, and it was the last card put in the, in the the from the Vault, was because of the gods in Theros. Right. And because now there are gods in magic, Wrath of God makes sense. Before, there was no god, so it was like a weird religious reference that came from an era where there were also Shakespeare quotes in flavor text.
0: Yeah, definitely... It's so cool that Magic has been around for 21 years now yeah. and that there is legitimately so much subtext and history. It's it's really the subculture of this game and the history of this game. It's an interesting just, I mean, a, I think there probably should be a book written about the history at this point. Like a great one. Well, that's kind
1: of what, like, if you look at, listen to another podcast, Drive to Work by Mark Rosewater, he yeah. does a lot of episodes purely just on history stuff. Yeah. Like the Pro Tour in 1998 and just like, His plan is to kind of make this pod his podcast as a history of magic.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love that. I love that side of it. The the only other four drop for me uh, that that is interesting is polymorph. And the reason polymorph is interesting is it's one of these cards that if you build your deck correctly, yeah, I mean it doesn't take much. You you know this has been this was this won a tournament. Uh, at least the Grand Prix, possibly a Pro Tour. Didn't this win a standard Pro Tour? Didn't Saito or I one of the... Think,
1: I think it at least top-aided a Pro Tour. I don't know if it won. It's possible that it won. I don't know for sure.
0: Might have just been a Grand Prix, but yeah, it's uh, po- yeah. Polymorph is really good. Destroy target creature for one blue and three colorless. It's a sorcery. Creature can't be regenerated. Its controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a creature card. That player puts the card into play and shuffles as her library revealed this way uh blah, blah, blah. anyway it lets you
1: basically it lets you take a creature that you have to make a creature that isn't like a creature type card and then you can cheat Emrakul in the play
0: yeah essentially it would work like you would play a card like colony garden or something that is a land but that gives you a creature the main
1: way and Travis Wu is actually posting on channel fireball this week a list or it, he posted a list earlier this week and we will be posting a video maybe today um and basically you use dryad arbor that's yeah. the main, right now, the best card probably in the format to kind of put this, get get Emrakul out there. It's you, you use your lands that you're automatically playing anyways, and you just get a big 15-15 in the play for
0: free. Yeah, it's fine. It's pretty easily disruptable. It, generally speaking, will make the card level, the power level of your deck really, really low uh, to try to make the strategy work. There's also not another 4-drop that does it. Uh, there's a bigger version of it.
1: There's a 5-drop that lets you cheat things in the play but exiles it at the end of turn. Yeah, and it's, then there's... it's just a
0: little slow. Yeah. That's all. Uh, but it is blue, and it's a blue combo card, and blue combo cards are always good because right. you can play lots of counter spells. Yep. Um, honorable mentions. Let's get to it.
1: All right, so my first honorable mention is going to be Battle of Wits. Uh, okay so battlewitz you know as one multiple like tournaments never I think in modern but basically what it is is it's a four drop enchantment five drop enchantment that if you during your upkeep you have this in play and you have more than 200 cards in your deck you win the game
0: so this it's interesting that nobody's actually won with this card it's it's it is super interesting
1: it's I mean when it was in standard it won a tournament or two or at least top eight at a tournament or two when it was first printed it did very well in standard it's a card that it's a weird combo piece that just will win, but you have to play with a giant deck that's, like, giant. <laughs> and
0: shuff- and because it's giant, you're going to constantly be tutoring, and shuffling a 200-card deck at a tournament is
1: horrible. Yeah, maybe it just, like, goes the time every time. And just can't ah,
0: draw. <laughs> I can't even imagine trying to play this and not just knocking my deck over. Uh, it sounds absolutely awful. Right. But uh, there... This card has the interesting connotation that as you print more Magic cards and redundancy becomes just like the better, higher and higher and, higher, and higher, this card will have a better and better chance of winning a tournament because the more redundant effects that make it good. The
1: my favorite one I've seen ever is the um, there's the one drop black creature that you can have as many as you want in the deck. Oh uh, yeah, and you can sack six of them I think to put a uh, uh, a demon in the play. Yeah, so. There's a demon that you can tutor for any card. So you just have your entire uh, deck as these one-drops. You have a couple of those demons, swamps, and you just tutor battle of uh, – swamps and islands, and you just tutor out the Battle of Wits with the demon and play it on turn five. It's really good. It, it, it's – I mean, it's really <laughs> easy to out. Like, Pyroclasm just wrecks the deck all by itself, but, like – It's so far the most consistent way I've seen of someone trying to win with Battle of Wits. Yeah, that's interesting. If not the cutest. It's definitely loose.
0: (laughs) That sounds awesome as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Yeah, I think as far as honorable mentions go, if Wayfarer has been mentioned, um, oh, one card that I really liked and I thought was really interesting was Guerrilla Tactics. Uh, This is not a card that I've really seen a lot of people play, but it's one red and one colorless for an instant. Gorilla Tactics deals 2 damage to target creature or player. However, when a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard Gorilla Tactics, it, feels, it deals 4 damage to target creature or player. The reason this is relevant to me is it's an instant burn spell that if Liliana makes you discard it, single-handedly takes out Liliana's loyalty at 4. Right, and it's if, like
1: an anti-Liliana hate that's kind of like Obstinate Baloth, but it's more versatile as a removal spell than a threat.
0: Yeah, exactly. And even if they make you sack a creature, it still kills Liliana. So right. either of the two abilities on that card, it's going to get rid of. And it's not the worst thing in the world to just have in your hand. It's right. a burn spell.
1: Yeah. yeah so, yeah. um, my next one, it's seen actually a ton of Legacy play, a ton of Modern play. It's just it's doesn't see that much right now. Curt Ape.
0: Yeah, it's just
1: classic card. I mean, it's a two. What it is is for one mountain, it's a one one. But if you have a forest, it's a one two, or it's a it's a two three. Yeah. Um. It's just, you know, one drop, two, two X, anything's are very good. Um, it's basically mini wild Nicoddle. Nat- yeah. It sees some play and some, like, the hyper aggressive zoo decks play it, but even zoo decks aren't seeing that much play right now.
0: Yeah, when they ban Nicoddle, this was in zoo decks. Uh, Wildfire will be the next one for me. Two red, four colorless sorcery. Each player sacrifices four lands. Wildfire deals four damage to each creature. This has been a staple in. Uh, standard decks, when it's been legal, it's it's a strategy card. It's
1: slightly, t- it's like six mana board wipes. It just doesn't do enough, I think, for the format. Oh, okay. okay, so my 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 pick is a, a Turbo Fog Classic, and it's Worship. Yeah, it basic it basically makes you unkillable as long as you have creatures.
0: Yeah, Worship's a- another card that's interesting over the years. There's a lot of cool uses for Worship. Um, it allows you to do some really degenerate things if you have an ability to keep a creature in play. Um, definitely, Worship's great. So. Right. Uh, my last card is – this is a card that I, I want a, another, like, fan challenge. If you guys, like, hear this and you think this is as cool as I do, uh, I talk about sometimes how sacrificing artifacts is such a is such a hard thing to find cards that successfully do it because there's not a lot of effects that, A, allow you to sacrifice permanence, and even more specifically, allow you to sacrifice artifacts. So Yawgmoth Demon, which is not a good card. <laughs> It's a 6-6 six, six flying first strike demon for two colorless and four black that says at the beginning of your F-keep you may sacrifice an artifact if you don't tap it and it deals two damage to you. Now, it's not a good card. You're not playing not it. You're not playing it because you think that a 6-6 six, six flying first strike for six is good.
1: Like, I, I would argue that Ornithopter is better.
0: <laughs> would you? Ar- <laughs> <laughs> Toolbox. Toolbox. No, the, the reason I like this is because if you were going to play some sort of deck that maybe played like the Icar Wellspring or the Mycosynth Spring cards that you want to be able to play get value, yeah. sack them, uh, Esperzoa maybe, something like that. You could <laughs> sort of play... It'd be some kitschy, weird, like, value, artifact-y combo deck with Tezzeret, the 4 mana Right. Tezzeret. Uh, I'm going to probably brew it and insist we talk about it on this podcast. Not going to happen. And then we'll cut... I'm not going to not gonna subject any of you
1: people out there to this list. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so that's Ninth edition.
0: <laughs> ben has been dismissed from the podcast.
1: <laughs> so, the, the one cool fun fact about Ninth edition is actually the last set with white borders ever printed.
0: Yeah, and they started making all the magic cards look good.
1: Yeah, was, they were just like, why are we doing this? There's no real purpose. We don't gain any value from white border. Let's just stop doing it. And we were all better for it, other than the three listeners out there that might like white border. And we apologize to you. White borders are not cool
0: i'm not apologizing (laughs) yeah well definitely uh there's a lot of things they've just like sort of fixed over the years so they've just like made magic better right and like this is another one of those things where it's like why are there ugly cards and good-looking magic cards
1: i think my theory is it's a holdover from like how baseball cards or basketball cards maybe worked at one point where it's like oh the good ones the like original printings are all in like a specific kind of border and then when they do reprints they add like effect to it to make them different and that's what this is and it's just like yeah, doesn't have that much value. It, it works for those maybe because it's all about collecting the originals. And right. But in Magic, it's the value is much more intrinsic to what it does, not where it came from.
0: Right. I and mean, there, there again, is
1: some collectibility, but it's not nearly as important as like Tarmogoyf. No matter where you get it from, is expensive
0: and there's a there's a set symbol on every card. Right. You don't need to give it an ugly border just to differentiate. Like there's a set symbol. Right. You can just make it
1: Which didn't exist to start with, which may be why this was a thing. But Yeah. yeah
0: so... Again, the first 10 years of this of this game, it was like incubatory period and now really, especially the last 5, but over the last 10 years they've sculpted it to the point that it's like it's a fine-toothed comb now. Right. it's, it's right, right. they're not going to make stupid mistakes in design and, and all that stuff. So anyway, that pretty much does it for 8th and 9th edition. Uh, please... If
1: you're any cards that we didn't mention and you want to tweet at us, we are the M-Cast on Twitter, and we would like to hear your favorite M...
0: M-M-Cast. We'd love to hear your favorite uh, modern cards that are in 8th and 9th edition yes, we didn't talk about.
1: Yes, not M9 or M8. Those aren't sets that existed. <laughs> for
0: the record, if anybody gets on me about uh, Yagmoth Demon, I will respond immediately. Uh... <laughs>
1: Challenge laid down. I need you guys to all make fun of how Ben likes that card. I have puns.
0: Twitter. I have puns prepared that I'm going to tweet back at you. I'm just going to search your name and, and tweet you my pun. Uh, no, so so I think we we to attack a deck real quick before we. Uh... Yep. Yeah.
1: Today I kind of picked red green Tron, and the reason is because it's very Christmas themed.
0: You kind of picked it, or you picked it? I picked, well, we're picked, I picked it. Well,
1: we're playing red green Tron. The, I kind of picked it for the reason. Oh. Of it's Christmas time because it's Christmas. It's red green, and there's like presents of gifts.
0: So Tron is a deck that we we mentioned on our on, on the eighth and ninth edition uh, review. So the Tron lands, Urza's Mine, Urza's Tower, and Urza's Factory, which were originally printed in antiquities. Uh, they are lands that. Urza's Tower is the sort of the if best one. You have one. all
1: three; they tap for seven mana. People
0: call them Tron because it's like you know it's like Voltron, Urza right. Tron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But basically, there are three lands that if you have all three of them, they tap for two mana, two mana, and three mana. Um,
1: it doesn't. You don't have to go which one. The, yeah. yeah, but anyway,
0: so the idea being that if you get all three of them on turn three, you can get seven mana, uh, which allows you to cast uh, Karn Liberated or Worm Coil Engine. There's been several versions of this deck. There's a mono blue version, and there's the red-green version. The, where-
1: there's technically also a blue-white, but the, the 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 most popular and probably the definitive two are red, green, and blue, and we'll do blue another time. Yeah. Uh, kind of the main game plan is to, on seven, get either a Worm Coil Engine or Karn Liberated, which is uh, the seven-drop super planeswalker that just wins the game by being in <laughs> play. Yep. Um, and eventually, once you kind of that plan have to deal with that, going into trying to get an Eldrazi, Emrakul specifically, or one of the other ones, where using the card I of Ugin, which is a land that lets you tutor for any colorless card, yep. um, get an Eldrazi, and with the Urza lands, plus I, the other mana, playing Emrakul, hard-casting Emrakul, and just winning, because you have a 15-15
0: and they are actually casting; it. you're not cheating, which yeah. means you get an extra turn.
1: Like it's basically a hasted fifteen fifteen protection from going spells and that later six. Player. So on that note,
0: do you know was there ever has there ever been like a story or conversation about the creation of Embercool as a card? Like where they've talked I don't about?
1: No, not that I know. I mean, there's probably is, but I just don't. That know. That would be but, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right,
0: where they're just being like, okay. How ridiculous can we make? Well, well, yeah, it costs fifteen? Rise a little
1: drowsy review.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it costs fifteen? So <laughs> can we just? So it should be a time walk, also. Right. And it should be protection from everything. It just, just. I think they
1: made all the really cool things. And they're like. Oh, Oh, there has to be there has they can't reanimate this. I think they tried reanimating like, oh this is too good. And right. so they added the shuffle effect. Right. And then like it's an awesome card. It's an awesome card.
0: They are and Eldrazi are back next, right? Isn't that the no, next we block? Don't,
1: we don't know. I mean I'm calling it right now. I think Zendikar is next. I think we're going to Zendikar fall two thousand. I thought uh, it was already announced 15. that we
0: were going back and the Eldrazi were coming back. Or maybe no, it was just rumored.
1: That was is I mean, you might have heard me say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's happening. If it doesn't happen fall of 2015, I'm, like, convinced it's fall of... Or oh, well, no, 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 I, I'm sorry.
0: It's not that it's rumored. It's that we have Ugin's Nexus, and they're referencing Ugin again. That's what it right. is. oh, okay. yeah. So
1: we're going to Ugin next. So there's so much setup right now for the yeah. Eldrazi set. This is such a tangent, but I guess we're on the Eldrazi deck of the yeah. format. So, you know, over the summer, and for the Commander product, Obnixilis has been mentioned multiple times. We yeah. now see the Lithomancer, which is the white Planeswalker from yep. the Commander set. We're seeing Ugin for the first time, which is coming up in the next set. Yeah. It's like, basically, we're going through a prequel to Zendikar. The last set had multiple references to Zendikar. Right. Fetchlands have just recently come back. Like, the fact that there could be a moment, like, I don't think they're going to reprint the Zendikar fetches in Zendikar. I think they're just, they have these planted ahead of time. They're going to be good with the landfall creatures that come back in Zendikar this fall. Yeah, it's just going to be like it's all kind of leading towards what feels like we're going back to Zendikar and seeing the Eldrazi.
0: And the real reason that we would go back to Zendikar is that like now, well, it was the, a huge cliffhanger, and also just the, the the idea of like the War of the Worlds giant monsters and all that. It's right. Super popular. People, casual players love the Eldrazi
1: the Eldrazi are coming back also in in MM in the next Modern Masters set they've announced Emrakul is like the face of the set he's the face of the set right? and so like if the Eldrazi are coming back there it's like a great time here's a reminder of what was going on with Zendikar last time we've now done all of the we've now done literally all of the prequel work to set up just like we're returning and it's just gonna be epic
0: so uh, yeah, basically continue on with the deck tech. Yeah. Uh, those are the basically the lands. It uh, well it plays. Of, I mean it
1: plays Grove of the Burnwells. It's the one deck that plays Grove. Oh, it's one of the few decks that plays Grove. And Grove is a red green land. It's the best red green land probably ever printed. That's not a dual land, and it lets you tap for any color comes into play untapped, but it gains your opponent life
0: and it's not a land that exists in a cycle it was part of the Future Sight cycle of dual colored lands They're they all printed all like
1: weird and wonky and different s- for each of them
0: the only one of those that i ever was reprinted as a cycle was graven cairns that right. became the shadowmoor eventide filter lands right. um but this one doesn't never get was never reprinted it used to pa- uh, of combo those lands
1: there are probably two of them are too powerful to ever see print
0: uh, in a cycle horizon and canopy. Horizon
1: Canopy in this one. Yeah. Um, this one combos with um,
0: Punishing Fire. Punishing
1: Fire, so it's just ended up being actually too powerful.
0: Yeah, well they banned Punishing Fire for that reason.
1: Right. Uh, um, so the next so so kind of the mana base is it's red green, it has ghost quarter, uh, the Urza Tower, and I in. Ghost Quarter's actually the most important purpose is to kill your own lands in response to sewing salt. It has some value otherwise, but its real purpose is to stop people from destroying your lands, because you, like, your game plan is to
0: protect those. Right. You need to make sure that uh, that you don't get...
1: like so One of the best hate cards against this deck is Sowing Salt, and what yeah. it basically does is exile a land in play, and all other lands in your deck of that same land type.
0: So they can just, yeah, they can For extract, land. or uh, extirpate, yeah. if you will, one of your Urza's lands, which kind of screws the deck. Right.
1: So, like, as we said, it's about getting Emrakul and Karn early. Karn being the Planeswalker that exiles cards from player hands and can restart the game. Um... Eventually, getting Embercoal, it does this using a combination of multiple land searching effects. Its right. main two are Expedition Map and Sylvan Scrying.
0: Yep, Both, and it, again, yep, I talk about this it. all the time. <laughs> this this is utilizes two of the effects to get any land. Yeah. Uh, also, it plays a combination of Chromatic Stars and Chromatic Spheres.
1: Right, which are kind of its cantrip that also allows it to kind of draw into the green and red mana it needs to there. cast some of its other spells. There are
0: artifacts that cost one colorless that tap to sacrifice for a tap and one colorless to. Create one mana of any color and draw a card. Right. They the effects uh, the trigger as far as the card draw are slightly different, but they're basically the exact same card. Otherwise. Um, and then board wipes.
1: Oh, it plays. Uh, so Relic of Progenitus, which we mentioned. Oh, sorry.
0: Relic of Progenitus, which is a fantastic and versatile graveyard hate card that also cantrips. Right. It's one. good against
1: Tarmogoyf. It's good against now the delve cards. I mean, it's one of the premier like, artifact graveyard hate removal spell. I would contend combat. it's
0: the, the premier graveyard removal spell because it can be played in every deck.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, it's a cantrip. And that's what really it's important. This deck is trying to cycle through its deck as quick to be able to find the important lands it needs. So having three cantrips that also fix mana or have other util, utility effects that are artifacts is very helpful. Absolutely. Um, and lastly, it's board wipes. So it plays both Pyroclasm... Pyroclasm? Ugh. It plays both Pyroclasm and Oblivion Stone, yes. both of which allow you to wipe the board of creatures. Oblivion Stone lets you get rid of more difficult permanents and lets you kind of keep Planeswalkers and enchantments and artifacts that you might have problems with out of the field. And Pyroclasm is just super efficient. kills all the small threats that this deck has problems with because aggro is a huge problem for this deck.
0: I've also seen this deck play All as Dust before. Um, I'm not sure right. if this yeah. version. Both versions toy with it sometimes. It's a re- that's an interesting Eldrazi card. It's uh, seven mana, colorless, destroy all colored permanents. Right, and, and you
1: can. The, the nice thing about that is it's searchable by Iavugan. I think, uh, Oblivion Stone has kind of just outright replaced it because it's one yeah. mana more to do it all at once, but it just
0: does has a very similar effect. Absolutely. Um, also, we should talk about. You mentioned Karn Liberated, but this deck does play Wormcore Engine, which is right. the other best turn three threat in the deck. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, then it plays the Aldrazi. Right. I mean,
1: basically on turn three, it wants to either play Emrakul, sorry. On turn three, it either wants to play Karn, Wormcoil Engine, or Ostone. Yeah. And, and either wipe the board, making it so they don't kill you, play the probably most powerful Planeswalker that gets played in Modern, or play the, one of the most powerful threats in the format that is most difficult to kill.
0: 100%. So, uh, getting to the Gauntlet.
1: Uh, first right Delver. This is a tough matchup.
0: Their counter spells.
1: Well, they're counterspells. Well, the the problem is is that it's more the like counterspell decks are generally bad against you because most counterspell decks are like let's wait as long as possible to kill you. Right. The problem with Delver is a its threats are pretty resistant to your like most of your removal. Yeah. And or like just they can kill you quickly. It's speed is what you have the hardest problem with.
0: So, uh, yeah, th- basically if you if you're on the play and you land turn one Delver and it flips and you're holding open like a mana leak backup. You can probably get them low enough that you will be able to kill them with like snap bolt, snap bolt later in the right. game before they can stabilize. So the clock with with Delver is really difficult for you to fight against if they have even just one counterspell to slow your plan down. Right. And
1: Karn's really bad in this matchup because when it comes down to it, you're playing cards that are just way less... Like, they, you don't care about your individual permanence
0: with Delver. Essentially, if you... Be, One be, Because this deck doesn't natural turn three Tron that often. It, it's capable because of Sylvan Scrying, but... No, it's... uh Expedition Map is the way you get... Yeah, it, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's still not that consistent. It's not going to get it every time. So something I noticed testing against this deck in the past was if you can essentially get them to a point on the play where you have them almost dead by turns three or four... Like, if your clock is turn four on the play, you might win against this deck if they can't stabilize. If you can if you right. can basically withstand Pyroclasm. Right. Um, the, I think next week we're going to be talking about hunted Handsome, but I have a story of playing basically a 7-7 Trample on turn two on the play against the deck that hit Natural Tron, and they were still dead by the time they could get Karn in play.
1: Right. So, and, you know, Blue Ray Dever probably even has, like, a good hate chart at the side. Like, there are many problems that kind of Tron has against Delver. This is one of the reasons that Del- that Tron isn't good right now.
0: Because Delver is because good.
1: Because Delver is good. Yeah. Um so next, Birthing Pod. Um this is actually a matchup that is way better than people think it is. So people think that the problem with the, the is the infinite combos. Right, like gaining infinite life seems like it's good against Tron, but the issue is that once Emrakul comes into play, you can start mitigating what their permanents are. Right, and Karn wins you the game. So you win in two ways: you either deck them out because you have Eldrazi that you can discard and you can recycle your graveyard so that you just continually can't lose and they draw too many cards. But the real way you win is by um, restarting the game with Karn and with an like a card you discard yourself, Eldrazi or something in play, starting out the game. Gotcha. There's no way they can beat you at that point so like you really can just restart the game they don't have infinite life anymore and you go off
0: that's fair yeah um i still think that birthing pod if they can disrupt you is probably going to be just fine as another one of these situations that if they come out aggressive enough and they have one way to disrupt you with an aggressive threat you might just lose to that um that sort of seems to be the problem with this deck with Tron, is that if something if somebody can get their creature plan against you going and disrupt your sort of your your wrath or etc cetera, etc, cetera, uh, they will probably beat you. But uh, if you know if you come out on the right, you come out swinging, you're on the play, you natural a turn three Tron, you might just be able to win the game.
1: See, I I mean, I I actually honestly believe Mirel Pods one of your best matchups. I think this is one of the reasons you play the deck because on top of the fact that you can get past their main combos, which is yeah. kind of what their game plan is against you. For pyroclasm, for ostone, and yeah. for relic of Progenitus are go so far to help you stop a pod decks from kind of doing what they're trying to do. I, I think the angel decks are slightly stronger, but I, even then, I think ostone just handles them.
0: I would agree. Um, your our next matchup is junk, junk or John, One right. of these black green x decks. Uh, they play a ton of pinpointed removal.
1: Well, see, see what I honestly this is the this is the reason to play the deck. The reason Tron is the most popular when Jund and Junk decks are the most popular. I
0: was gonna say their pinpointed removal doesn't do much against right. you. Right,
1: Path to Exile is technically decent against Wormcoil Engine, but like your real threat here is Karn. Yeah. they can't beat it. it and like, it, and when it comes down to it, only Path out of Junk is good against you, and Jund has a huge problem. None of their cards do anything against yeah. you. Um it's really the reason. Like. When you are in a format where birthing pod and jundex are the best cards in the format, that's when you're best off. Because even Thoughtseize isn't that good against you. Most of your cards are just like jerky cantrips or tutorable by by lands.
0: Yeah, I would I would completely agree with you. Um, the next matchup is burn. Uh, Burn's really good against you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as we mentioned, like
1: anything that can kill you hyper efficiently and quickly is a problem.
0: Well, especially since especially since you resolving wormcoil engine on turn 3 i mean if you're on the play and you get wormcoil down against burn you'll probably win
1: that's that's your best game plan i think like pyroclasm on turn 2 which is impossible with a turn 3 I guess your game plan is worm coil on turn three or four, and p- possibly wiping the board ahead of time to kind of mitigate your life total before that. But event. even
0: then, even if you get your turn three worm coil, and they're on the play, there's still a chance that they're going to have a trick or something to or kill you. burn in their hand. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's, it's hard. It's it's, rough. I
1: mean, the nice thing is you, you completely go around, or no, you don't completely, but you definitely are better against Eidolon of uh, yeah. Revels than most decks are because you have more expensive spells. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it it's also, definitely a hard matchup.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I mean, also still All you still cantrips. play sixteen yeah. or twenty spells that cost. Yeah, I mean, also also after after board they have decent they have decent cards against you. Right, so, like they're the, one of the decks that could have Sewing Salt, which is a huge blowout. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: so. Next is Ascendancy. I mean like now we're getting into the decks, like Ascendancy is just a terrible matchup. It's gonna beat you. <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna beat you. you. Can't beat Ascendancy. Yeah, the, the the interactions you have on their level is just doesn't do anything against them. <laughs> I guess the versions of Ascendancy that like had to win with like Birds, you had some game because you have Pyroclasm, <laughs> yeah. but now it doesn't that's not even the deck. The like... Fate Stitcher version you're just
0: Well, actually no no. The Fate Stitcher version you have Relic. So... Right. Oh I think I think
1: but the thing is that they can just play they just play, <laughs> play Fate Stitcher as yeah, a four-drop. They play ascendancy in this Fate Stitcher and you're just like, uh Yeah, it
0: seems like your your matchup's really bad.
1: Um Shift... This is the other these are the two ramp decks. This is like the ramp decks going head to head. I think Shift's problem is that Karn can exile permanence in play. Yeah. I, I think that Scapeshift also has a problem with Worm Coil engine. Yeah, but I think it's close. I think that this is probably. I think you're just a little bit faster than them. We always, t- yeah, we always problem. talk
0: about a lot of these matchups in modern, the ones that aren't just vastly uh, skewed, like ascendancy, come down to the play and the draw. So on the play, I think Scapeshift is better. On the draw, it's probably worse. Yeah, so I, I think agree. It's pretty much yeah, that yeah. simple. How fast can they resolve Worm Coil against you?
1: So that's that's Tron. Uh, is there anything else interesting about the deck that we want to talk about before we move on to?
0: I don't think so. I mean, Tron that, that pretty much covers what it does. We so, sh- I guess
1: one thing, we never kind of we don't bring we don't it's not on our list but counterspell decks. Yeah. Decks with counterspells. Tron is very good against those decks because the inevitability is kind of like Birthing Pod right. except it's uncounterable.
0: Yes, that like, that is true. Like
1: the fact that the getting Emrakul in play is going to happen if you wait too long, no matter what, yeah, because the the basically the combo is Iavugan into Emrakul, and all of their cards are lands or an uncounterable fifteen fifteen d- d- ridiculous.
0: <laughs> when you say counterspell decks, you mean devoted control counterspell decks,
1: control deck, anything that is trying to control the game for the long game
0: yeah exactly for the long game because yeah. we talked about delver and why is if you can land an early threat with counter backup for the first five turns of the game that's how you beat it right it's not it's not the long game counterspell. this is a no, situation yeah, yeah. where mana leak and Roman are very good the re- I th- reason
1: i think it's bad is because the counter spell deck of the format right now is delver yeah and delver's plan is to kill early with counter spells helping you on along the way yeah. versus wow. control decks that are supposed to stop you early and win in the late game with like celestial colonnade
0: exactly so uh That pretty much covers Tron.
1: Yeah. Um, We are taking a break for two weeks. It is the holidays and neither of us are going to be in town. So it is not going to work out, but we will have podcasts for you right now. First week of January. Uh, We are super excited about Fate Reforged spoilers. Uh, I thought maybe if we wanted to, we could make some call outs and predictions of what's going to be in there and see how wrong we're going to be. Oh, yeah. I think Ugin's not going to be colorless. I think the spoiler that's been online is, like, fake because it hasn't been confirmed. And I think he's going to be blue, white, red. I'm calling Jess Guy. Jess Guy, eh? Yeah. I think that's the opposite uh, Nicol Boles. I think Nicol Boles is... is uh... Grixis, and then the switching out the black for white is exactly what Ugin is, and then they're polar opposites, and it's going to be all this about is Ugin.
0: The, you love the story stuff. Uh, I think that hybrids going to be a big thing. I think we're going to see a super, super, super strong focus on hybrid cards. Right. Well, we
1: we already got spoiled the champion. Uh, yeah. Or the the con of the teamer thing, and it has hybrid in it. So hybrid's it's in the like set. Like that
0: dragon champion. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It looks so awesome. So, so we're definitely. There are hints of that, and I can imagine that kind of working well with the gold set, and then that will work okay with a non-gold set that we get in Dragons of Tarkir. I can, I can see that being a thing. A hybrid man is so awesome. So we predicted it. Man. We'll find out in two weeks if that's happening. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, Happy Kwanzaa. Um, we want to remind you to always follow us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter account is at Kess Wiley. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram, I use Instagram more often, is uh, Ben Bateman Media. And you know the podcast Twitter, which is the one that we want you to interact with the most, is the, at the MM Cast. Uh, please tweet your questions, your favorites, the way you think we're just completely wrong about how we broke down Tron. Uh, any cards that we missed from Eighth and Ninth Edition? How Ben's talk about
0: Yagmoth Demon? Yeah, Yagmoth <laughs>
1: Demon is just a terrible <laughs> card. Uh, please tweet at us. The question of the week is: What is your favorite artifact, uh What is your favorite Eighth and Ninth Edition cards? Um, next week we'll be, next podcast we'll be talking about the top 10 artifacts in the modern format. We, uh, brought back Jimmy Wong to bring in the new year. Um, that will be followed probably by us doing all the speculation and Fate Reforged standard modern ban list, blah, blah,
0: blah, blah, blah. There's also an awesome deck tech on the episode with Jimmy Wong about that deck we always talk about. Uh,
1: Awesome is in big quotes. (laughs) Hunted
0: Handsome, the deck that we always reference. It's Uh, coming. You're going to find out about it. So tune in and we'll catch you guys in the new year. Yep.
1: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Secluded Glen.
0: See you later. Alligator.